Welcome back. It is, I think, a first for us because this is somewhat of a transfer deadline day podcast that we're recording right now as uh, the deadline approaches. We're not quite Sky Sports and we don't expect to have, you know, fans chasing us down outside the gates asking us for the latest gossip. But uh, in the words of Fabrizio Romano, here we go because I am Nathan Strauss. I'm joined by a man who's probably just about finished celebrating uh, Fabio Carvalho's late winner today. It is Nick Govindan. Yes, this podcast is not going to have us crawling on the ground, picking at our, you know, fake injuries, picking at our sore hamstrings, our cramp, um, you know, Matt Target, you know, sitting on the ground for like two and a half minutes, feigning injuries. Yes. That was some beautiful, beautiful retribution for all of the Jordy time wasting in that game. And Liverpool come out with a glorious, another glorious late winner at Anfield in the 98th minute from the wonder kid himself, Fabio Carvalho. Bruno Mars, impersonator extraordinaire. And he is certainly the star boy of the day, along with, you know, Harvey Elliott, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But yeah, very elated. Uh, I could have come on here for like the third straight <laughs> podcast in a row and been totally miserable, but um, I am not. I feel I feel a great sense of joy after two amazing wins for Liverpool. Not to nitpick, but isn't Starboy the weekend? Not Bruno. No, listen, I don't I, I don't. I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't Caleb, be... I feel like Caleb. This isn't dissect, right? Like we're not a we're not a music pod. I don't. Here. No, no. Right, right, right. I don't um, pretend to be a, a pop music connoisseur. <laughs> Uh, I don't I don't listen to you know the top one hundred Billboard top one hundred anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I, I'm sure Caleb. Well, we're also joined by Caleb Rhodes, for whom I'm sure spirits are pretty high as. Uh, you know, Barcelona continue unbeaten following a uh, fairly spectacular Robert Lewandowski uh, back heel sort of crossbody flick. So, Caleb, oh, uh, welcome aboard. Hello, glad to be back. Sorry to miss the show last week, but you guys, you know, you got through it and it was excellent. So, it was a bit of a downer to be totally the show last it, week. It I was like, it back. for it a show like, about vibes, you know, the vibes were like neutral. Um, <laughs> well, the vibes were neutral because we needed so you know, recently we've been having great success, great success with um, you know, you know, shooting the shit a little bit before we hit record and it helps us loosen up. But last week, I think you know, Caleb, it really just demonstrated how important you are to the general uh for the general undertones of our of our show. Yeah. Well we also know? started with Liverpool, which is a mistake in that like I just was miserable for about twenty five minutes to open the podcast. I feel like if we start with the Arsenal, you know, the, the Arsenal vibes, which have continued into this week and then ended with Liverpool, it might have been a bit different. But yeah. Now, you know, everything is all rosy. All three of our clubs are winning again. So Well, yeah, again, for me, it was about a seven-year wait. For you guys, it was about, you know, six months or so or or two weeks or so. But all right. Well, I feel like, uh, you know, given that there was a a midweek slate of fixtures today and the transfer deadline 
uh, is fast approaching. I feel like we should talk briefly about the only team that hasn't played yet midweek or, you know, one of the two teams that hasn't played yet midweek uh, in Manchester United, because shortly after forking over about 130 million between transfer fee and wages for Casemiro, United once again went back to the uh, department store of Ajax, if you will, and paid another 90 million rising to a hundred million with incentives for Antony. Uh, that deal was confirmed yesterday. I feel like this transfer has bust written all over it for like 18 reasons. First of all, it's buying from the Eredivisie, which we know is a bit of a crapshoot. Second of all, Antony's numbers are not that good, even if his underlying metrics are. Third of all, he's five foot nine. Uh, fourth of all, he's joining a Manchester United team that needs a striker more than a winger. Uh, and fifth of all, a hundred million for a player who is rumored to be going for about sixty million at the start of the summer is insane. Am I being overly critical here on a player who could be totally fine? Well, this is funny. I feel like you know that this guy, you know, has a decently high probability of being a bust because he is an Ajax player, and normally that means Nathan will really hype this guy. Um, and so I think maybe it's just the fact that you know, for the first time in a while, you know, your main team Arsenal are actually doing better than Ajax. So you don't feel the need to sort of like over-index on Ajax hype, but he could be fine, but it seems unlikely that he's really worth, you know, a hundred odd million. AKA, is he really worth more than Jaden Sancho was a year ago in the same position? Um, I mean, Jaden Sancho pretty much scored and assisted twice as many goals in a season in the Bundesliga as Anthony had ever had in his best season in the Eredivisie. Um, so it remains to be seen where he will exactly fit in. And I also think this type of move and crowding, you know, the wide positions is actually just going to hurt the development of Jaden Sancho and, you know, the ability of someone like Marcus Rashford, unless they think his, you know, position for the rest of the season will be at striker, his ability to refine his form. So a bit of a head scratcher, um, but you know maybe Ten Hag has worked with this player before um, and and knows something that we don't. Um, but for now, all we do know is that Ajax are rolling in it. Yeah, I mean Ajax are profiting massively just off of Manchester United alone. It looks like Edson Alvarez could be on the move to Chelsea uh, on this transfer deadline day as well. So Ajax rolling in the money right now, rolling in the British pounds. Um, I am a little bit more optimistic about this transfer than both of you are. I still think, Anthony, they, they paid well over the odds for a player who has not scored over double digits in the Eredivisie um, ever in his career with Ajax. But I think, first of all, this frees up, to answer the Jaden Sancho question, I think this frees up Jaden Sancho to play on the left. Uh, which is his preferred position, and Anthony can slot it on the right. Um, I think you know you can never underestimate the amount of trust that a manager can have in a player, and clearly Eric Ten Hag values that in bringing in both Lissandro Martinez and Anthony uh, into the same club in one summer. So I think he's clearly trying to bring in players who knows who know how he operates, 
uh, which can only be a good thing for eventually how he wants to you know progress with the system at United. Um, and thirdly, I think United's business has been quite Shakespearean in the past week or so, signing uh, Anstey and Casemiro, which is quite a uh, Anstey and Cleopatra-esque ring to it. And as like a Shakespeare scholar, I quite enjoy that, even though they're both now Manchester United players. So. Yeah, they really they could have signed uh, what Romeo Lavia as well if they really wanted to continue down this down this path. I guess yeah, the or... question is just whether this will be you know a tragedy. Or not. Yeah, to, to be or not to be in the championship next year. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I'm uh it's it's United have put themselves in a bit of a weird position because there was a claim when they were struggling that Ten Hag hadn't gotten the backing that he deserved. Uh, and there were all of the protests abounding about the Glazers and whether or not they spend enough and how much they take out of the club, et cetera, et cetera. All of those things I think are still valid, except for the first point. Because now you've gone and spent, in addition to the Ericsson transfer, the Martinez transfer at the beginning of the summer that had already you know, taken place, the Malasia transfer that had taken place before, I guess, tomorrow. Now you will have an extra basically $200 million in outlay that have been spent on you know, just two players. So for their sake, um, you know, they need to start picking up the points fairly quickly. And you know, we're only five or really four and five-sixths of a match of, of a match day done. So looking at the table doesn't tell us too much. However, you know, if, if things continue to go poorly for United who have Leicester arsenal uh, and then Europa league games against Sociedad and Sheriff Tiraspol sandwiched around a, a game with palace. I feel like, you know, the dominoes might start falling there and then, but this is not the only soccer news this week involving Manchester United. Cause I feel like we should talk, quickly about what was going on between Paul Pogba and Kylian Mbappe. And to preface this, I want to say that I don't have any bad thoughts about the idea of practicing witchcraft. Uh, you know, I know that it's a, it, it's cultural. It can very well be, you know, part of someone's identity. That being said, when there's alleged video evidence of someone using witchcraft to hex the best player in the world, uh, who happens to be a national team teammate, then I begin to understand, you know, why the French national team uh, is the way it is, obviously. And Caleb, I feel like you're good at, at introing these kind of stories. So uh, do you want to take it away? I actually don't. I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I, I, I think... Yeah, Nick, I'm please. Right, kind of buried the lead, right, of this story in that, you know, his brother, Matthias... Um, is heavily involved in, you know, these armed robbers and or, you know, like debt collectors who have essentially been like stalking Paul Pogba for the better part of a few months now, demanding 13 million in quote unquote services rendered, which Pogba didn't even know about, which have amounted to like his protection from certain unknown bodies. It's essentially like his brother and these his armed, you know, these armed guys who work under him or are affiliated with him in some way some some shape or form are trying to you know swindle money off of him and also you know have um have divulged the fact that paul pogba has dabbled seemingly in um in witch doctory in order to place some hoodoo over national team teammate Kylian Mbappe and I think like the whole and like we can laugh about this because you know it's a, a witch doctor is involved 
and <laughs> it's like inherently somewhat comedic because it's the French national team who are embroiled in scandal after scandal after scandal, uh, like of personal issues and the whatnot. But I think at the end of the day, this story is kind of sad because it's, you know, clearly there's been a massive, I don't even think falling out is, is uh, heavy enough a term to describe what has gone on here between uh, Matthias and Paul Pogba, the Pogba brothers. Um, and there's clearly going to be a lot to sort out for them in the coming days. You know, Pogba, Paul Pogba, excuse me, is not even playing at this current moment. He's injured, um, nursing an injury before heading off to the World Cup. It sounds like he won't feature much for Juventus for the remainder of the calendar year. Um, but I mean, it's just, in my opinion, it's a sad story involving, you know, the, the dissolvement of a family and what happens when money gets in the middle of that. But yeah, I mean, the witch doctor element is, you know, something that certainly piques human interest, of course. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's kind of just, you know, it's one of these situations where you see someone in a family comes into a lot of money and it obviously has a bunch of, you know, detrimental effects on the family. So it's, it's sad. And I think we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out, whether the video gets released. Um, I don't know. I don't quite know how to power rank this amongst like modern French football scandals. I think this probably takes first place over, um, you know, I mean, the Benzema just, Valbuena I mean, blackmail thing. I mean, if um, we go back, if we go far back enough, I feel like striking at the world cup is has to be up there as well. So Anelka, uh, Anelka uh, led that, right? I, I mean, Anelka, yeah. Anelka, yeah, Anelka, Anelka, Anelka said, quote, go fuck you, go fuck yourself, you son of a whore to head coach Raymond Dominic. That that needs to be bleeped. That like that's I can see why that's why it's up here, right? In the scandal. That's really inappropriate. (laughs) Raymond Dominic, who is like a known, known like really terrible racist alt-right French, not even like he's a football coach, but he doesn't work anymore because like he has some like really terrible fringe views on general racial sensitivity yeah i think he was i think he racially abused patrice evra as well like during the world cup yes that is correct um but (laughs) he he was also the coach who once dropped robert perez because he was a scorpio (laughs) so yeah but anyways uh back to back to the football uh shall we talk premier league Oh, actually, there's one more off off pitch stuff that we should talk about. Alba. Yeah, I feel like you know we want to send our regards to Pierre Emerick Aubameyang, who also this weekend suffered a broken jaw while having his house robbed. Uh, and this is bad for a multitude of reasons. Uh, obviously, it's bad to have your jaw broken. It's bad to have your house robbed. But it also means that he can't pass a medical right now, uh, and he was set for a a deadline day move to Chelsea. So they're sort of trying to figure out how that's going to work, but obviously a a terrible situation all around. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is another, just really a lot of, I thought we we were saying we were going to try to start this show on a a brighter note than the last episode, but there's a lot of bad off the pitch stuff happening, including, you know, the armed robbery and, you know, physical attack on a at his home. I think it follows into, a somewhat broader recent trend. I feel like there have been several players who 
you know, their homes get broken into not quite like this, but, you know, during games, I think Di Maria had his house broken into recently. Um, Barcelona actually, after this incident, released a statement or it came out that they had told players in light of some of these situations um, to sort of like stop posting, you know, like pictures like in their house, stuff like that, um, and to get sort of like personal security forces. And Aubameyang is actually one of the, the players who, to my knowledge, did not. Um, and so I think this is another situation where player safety is tantamount. And unfortunately, it just wasn't quite up to scratch here. And then on a sporting perspective, I mean, it did seem that he was going to seal about, you know, a 15 to 20 million um, pound move to Chelsea. And I don't really know what, what happens right now, because you're right. He has this broken jaw and will be out for about four weeks um, and, and can't pass a medical. But this is a really unfortunate situation. I'm glad he and his family um, are okay. And I, I just hope that, you know, Barcelona and himself can continue to sort of make sure that he he remains safe going forward. Absolutely. And I was remembering as well, you know, when Sead Kolasinac and Mesut Ozil got robbed at gunpoint. So it's clearly something that's been going on for a while, but hopefully, uh, you know, more people will start or more footballers, I guess, will will start having, I guess, better security, both, you know, in terms of what their online presence looks like and also, you know, physically, like getting a security guard. There's a great article in The Athletic about the people who train dogs for footballers that uh, I would definitely recommend checking out. But now, onto the football, because there have been two Premier League match weeks since we last recorded and one match week of all other uh, big five leagues from uh, around the world. I think we should start with today's uh, with today's action. So let's start off with, I guess, the the most thrilling moment of all that we hinted at earlier. Uh, but Nick, Liverpool, despite going one nil down to Alexander Ishak's first Premier League goal, which was pretty well taken, uh, good fight back today from a, a still depleted red side. Yeah, and I'll be totally honest, Liverpool weren't spectacular in this game following their 9-0 drubbing of Scott Parker's, then Scott Parker's Bournemouth team. It would end up being Scott Parker's last game as manager of the Cherries. But yeah, I think Liverpool once again showing that they are a depleted side. They're, they still lack a lot of energy, a lot of movement up the pitch. Jordan Henderson uh, limps off with what appears to be a hamstring injury. And for someone who is now over the age of 31, those are always a bit worrying um, when you see your club captain going off with an injury like that, a muscular injury. So that's definitely worrying. Um, Liverpool still, <laughs> you know, I feel like I come on here and I say it every single week now. Hopefully, you know, this will resolve tomorrow or tonight. Liverpool should be uh, scrambling this deadline day to bring in a midfielder and potentially even two midfielders to account for uh, the lack of squad personnel in that department currently. Nabi Keita is nowhere to be seen uh, following some you know controversial stories about a potential return to the Bundesliga and also you know returning to training and now being suddenly injured again. Don't really know what's going on there. It all smells a bit Coutinho back injury-ish um, when he was trying to force a move to Barcelona. Uh, Thiago still yet to come back. But yeah, I thought what really defined this game was Newcastle being very opportunistic with the Ishak goal. I thought Ishak played very well in this game. You know, he had another good finish. 
that was called back for an offside. Um, so he's clearly going to be an impact player in the Premier League uh, right from the off for them. But Newcastle, man, <laughs> the <laughs> I see people online complaining about uh, Liverpool scoring in the 98th minute when there's only a minimum of, of five minutes of added time. There should have been at least 12 minutes of added time in this game. Newcastle, Newcastle uh, were reminiscent of Atletico Madrid's visit to Anfield in the 2020 season with the, just the amount of pure um, bleephousery on display in terms of going down to feign injuries and time wasting. And you never really see the Liverpool bench uh, get so aggravated and animated as they did during the second half of this game with, you know, Darwin Nunez, you know, popping off from the bench. Um, Joel Matip going crazy when Liverpool scores the winner and directing some, uh, some taunting towards the Newcastle bench. There was a little bit of a flare up towards the end of the game. But I think the two major talking points from a Liverpool perspective, uh, really this entire season, have been the development of Harvey Elliott, who again, I think again was the best player on the pitch for Liverpool as he was uh, against Bournemouth. Um, he's really developing into a key player in Liverpool's midfield, who I think should probably keep his place when Thiago comes back. I would love to see an Elliott-Thiago-Fabinho midfield. Um, his skill set at just the age of 20 is frankly unbelievable. Um, he can do a little bit of everything, and his energy seems to be relentless and exactly what Liverpool need in this slump right now. And obviously the man who scored the winner, uh, Fabio Carvalho, who has been so impressive in his brief cameos for Liverpool and I think is also knocking on the door for a starting berth. So I think in these two players, uh, Liverpool have something to build for the future. And clearly, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel with Diogo Jota and Thiago returning to training next week. So... Liverpool are on the up and up right now after a, a, a very shaky and worrying start to the season. This this felt like a kind of... Like Liverpool in the past have faced adversity, you know, plenty of times and just it would always go their way. And I think this season, it seemed that in general, Liverpool were facing adversity and nothing was really working. I think this goal in the 98th minute sort of felt like the sort of older, you know, Klopp Liverpool energy, like willing to get a win in a whole variety of ways, a bit smash and grab, but at the end of the day, three points in the bank. I think, you know, it's not too hyperbolic to say that this type of result at the end of the season, you know, if Liverpool continue to have injury problems, et cetera, it could be the difference, you know, between you know, top four or not, or even, you know, we still have to see how things shake out, you know, a true title push. So I think it was incredibly entertaining um, and also really, really crucial, both in terms of the result and sort of for the morale of the squad as it moves into sort of a pretty crucial end of this transfer window. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I would say that there's like a 10% chance Liverpool actually bring in a player. Although, now that I'm saying that out loud, Liverpool have, uh, you know, taken a page out of the Lil Wayne book of quotes, you know, real G's move in silence, like lasagna, because so many of Liverpool's best transfers have come, you know, in the span of like three hours where they'll be linked via a tweet. Romano will tweet 30 minutes later, like, done deal, here we go. And then the pictures from Melwood will already be 
you know, out and about uh, online, you know, quickly thereafter. But the fact that they were able to get this win still being depleted and obviously the 9-0, I think in part inspired this victory. Uh, All good things and a testament to why we can't or we shouldn't always overreact to early uh, early results. But if there's one overreaction that I'm willing to make, unless, Nick, do you have anything else to say on Liverpool? I don't think so, but I think you're really right when you say that we shouldn't overreact because the Klopp DNA is so branded on this club and it even permeates down to new arrivals like Fabio Carvalho who are saying very Liverpool-esque things after the game like oh we stuck to the game plan you know we always believe we believe in the system we're relentless you know we always maintain the pressure and so for that's really I think the key ingredient for Liverpool is the total buy-in to Jurgen Klopp's methods and it seems like that's still very much the case even though it's been a shaky start to the season so yeah I think if Liverpool can strengthen tomorrow on deadline day it sounds like they're sniffing around Douglas Louise and potentially um, might be going back in for Conrad Limer we shall see uh, but that'll be that'll be a boost to what has been what has been a pretty great week uh, rebounding for Liverpool well I did mention Nick that I'm prepared to overreact in in one way uh, in one way shape or form I think Erling Holland is going to destroy the individual Premier League single season goal scoring record this season. I don't Two even hat it's tricks. It's maybe not a hot take, but you know, I think he could I think he could score 45 goals this season. He's got now 9 Premier League goals uh, in his first 5 games. He's scoring a goal once every 10 times he touches the ball. He scored a hat trick just for fun after City went uh, down 2-0 against Crystal Palace last weekend. He eased his way to a hat trick working alongside Julian Alvarez, who also scored twice. I don't know, man. I am terrified. Uh, and of course, there's also the news that allegedly <laughs> Premier League managers are like conspiring getting on zoom calls to talk about like how to contain him as if he was a velociraptor in jurassic park no my favorite thing was that tweet where it said like from whatever city reporter was like oh the premier league managers are coming together to discuss like how to how to stop erling holland and then the accompanying photo was that that scene from the dark knight where like all the (laughs) all the crime bosses are like meeting in in the kid the back room of the kitchen (laughs) during the day to talk about how to like stop the batman which i think is pretty apt because to make another movie reference erling holland is very much the terminator of world soccer right now he is completely relentless in his pursuit of putting the ball in the back of the net and i think what what says this the most is that we're so used to city scoring these beautiful sweeping goals following you know a 10 to 15 pass move but really all of the goals that erling holland has scored since arriving to the premier league have been these like very traditional poachers finishes including you know headers um, right on the line, tap-ins at the near post, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, this is sort of the play that we've all been saying that City have been crying out for, right? You know, someone just to stick the ball in um, from the six-yard, or from the penalty spot, rather. 
And I think they finally have that in Erling Holland, where they can open up the space for him and just allow him to do his thing and tap the ball in at the near post and finish off these sweeping moves. He has scored nine goals in the Premier League so far with under 100 touches of the ball. That is a ridiculous statistic. This person, this Erling Holland, this, I don't even know what to call him, a mythical creature at this point, is just so deadly. He's so efficient with so little real estate with the actual football. And I've never quite seen anything like it. And I agree with you, Nathan. I think, um, you know, if you're if you're Luis Suarez and Alan Shearer, you know, you better be <laughs> you better be anticipating that that record is going to be broken very soon. Also, the guy is just 22. Like, he's mind-bogglingly good. And efficient is really the right word. Um, He scored three goals off of four shots today. And they were all, you know, basically goals from within the six-yard box, more or less. And that's fine. I mean, if he scores 100 goals like that in the season, good for him. Um. But this is this is a problem. This this is a problem for the rest of the league, um, and you know if nineteen other managers can't figure it out, I'm not sure. You know who will? I guess the question is: these performances. Do you see just the likelihood of the Champions League even before the first game? Like, should we just give it to them already? Like, as long as we're staying in the world of hyperbole. Right, like, is there any one in Europe stopping this man in this team right now? I mean, probably not. And they continue to just like the, Nick sent something in our in our group chat this week about ranking teams by net spend. And before the Akanji deal goes through, City have actually earned money. They're they're up a million dollars, which is ridiculous, right? That's just that's just crazy. Uh, and so. You know, I think he's a nine goals in five games, obviously, is let's see, something like a sixty-six goal pace. He's he he might not get to he might not get to fifty necessarily, but the existing record in the in the low thirties is crazy. And I, I was surprised because I was thinking about and I know it's early days, but I was thinking about, you know, who will go down as the better city striker, him or Aguero. And I was kind of stunned at the fact that Aguero, despite generally being, you know, a top five striker in the world throughout his entire city tenure, never had a single season that made it into the top 10 Premier League goal scoring seasons of all time. So I don't know. It's scary. Uh, Clearly, City might not be as good defensively this year, uh, given that they have now fallen behind. Well, aside from today against Forest, they had fallen behind you know, in two consecutive games, ending in a draw with Newcastle and then, you know, coming back to sort of ease to a 4-2 victory against Palace. So there might be a few cracks there, but I guess it's just dependent on other teams to figure out how to find them, but then also, you know, not concede four consecutive goals afterwards, which seems to be the city MO. Right, and I think the only thing that's stopping Erling Holland from achieving all those landmarks is if his injury problems plague him once again this season. But even if that is the case, we've seen Julian Alvarez 
come on for City this season and have an instant impact as well. And I think if it was just him alone and not Erling Holland, we would be singing his praises even more. You know, two goals in his first full start for Man City is nothing to write home about. You know, he obviously scores the goal in the Community Shield on his debut against Liverpool. He looks like an excellent player who can deputize on the left and through the middle uh, for, for City. And so I think, you know, they're well-stocked in attack and... I don't even think it really matters how far they go behind in games. They seemingly can just turn it on at any moment and come roaring back into into a game, no problem. However, however, City are not the team that currently tops the table. And it brings me great pleasure to report that Arsenal uh, continue to be unbeaten through five games for the first time in quite some time. Uh, You know, they needed a little bit of a response today uh, after conceding an equalizer to David Luiz, uh, not to David Luiz, thank God those days are over, to Douglas Luiz, who scored an, an Olympico directly from a corner that I don't think should ever have stood. Uh, but uh, Arsenal have now conceded four goals this season and scored before 10 minutes have lapsed after each of those four goals. So all in all, as we talked about last week, Nick, uh, the vibes for Arsenal remain very good this time doing it with, you know, Tierney at left back, Sambi Lakonga in midfield. And uh, the last three Arsenal goals have all been scored by different players named Gabriel. That's a, that's a unique stat for sure. Yeah. We're top of the league in Gabby's by far, but for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, things are still going well. I guess one, one question I have, you know, as we get, further into the season is so far we haven't really seen the you know offensive four of Arsenal rotate very much um I mean Emil Smith-Rowe is has been relegated at least so far this season to you know 15 minute cameos at the end of games how long do you think you know Arteta can keep trotting out you know the same 11 to what extent will there be some like squad disharmony amongst some of those backup attacking players like Nketiah and Smith Rowe I mean once again the vibes are very good right now but in terms of like squad management in the medium term do you see any potential problems or are people happy to just kind of like they understand the team's playing well so you kind of go with what works yeah on that note sorry before you answer Nathan on that note we saw Sambi Lukonga start today for Arsenal because of their lack of options somewhat in midfield right now. And I think, especially with the Europa League kicking up again and Arsenal are once again a part of that competition, I think that also becomes a question with just how much depth they have. So I think on the other side of things, while they are abundant in attacking depth, I think we're seeing that they're somewhat limited in terms of what they're able to offer in midfield and defense right now. So I think it's a twofold question that Caleb and I are asking. Yeah, I think midfield is more of a concern for me than attacking options, just because, you know, between Saka, Odegaard, Martinelli, and Jesus, Jesus is 25 years old, has been conditioning and and playing at a top level for a long time. And I feel like fitness-wise, that front four will be pretty good. Midfield, I think, is an area where Arsenal could use a reinforcement of some sorts. But I do think as well that with six Europa League group stage games, um you know, FA Cup and EFL Cup games coming up as well. And given the hectic schedule, like there will be there will be injuries and there will be chances for players to, uh, you know, step forward. I feel like what Arsenal have right now is so much better 
than what they've had in years past where, you know, if Gabriel Jesus did get injured, they would have Nketiah to start. Um, or if Saka got injured or Martinelli got injured, they could bring on Smith Rowe or Fabio Vieira, who we've yet to see yet because he's still recovering from an injury or Marquinhos, who is too good for the under 23s, et cetera, et cetera. So I think at least until the World Cup break, when there's basically three games every seven days, you know, Arsenal will be playing Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. There will be plenty of minutes to go around. And I feel like as long as the team is winning, players will generally be pretty content to take whatever role they're given. Um, and, you know, Arteta, as we learned in All or Nothing, is all about the the buy-in. So I feel like uh, I feel like there aren't issues just yet. But, you know, there is a potential, you know, this team is a Granite Xhaka injury away from being, you know, with only two first team center midfielders. So I hope that uh, that answers your questions. That does. And maybe there's one more game to talk about in the Premier League before we do our normal kind of whip around. That would be Southampton 2, Chelsea 1 at St. Mary's Stadium in a game where Southampton really impressed and Chelsea really did not. <laughs> yeah, Caleb, I know you picked Southampton to go down, but I can't imagine that's uh, a prediction that's auguring too well uh, for you right now. But yeah, I mean, credit credit Southampton for for winning this game. But again, I feel like this this match and this result is all about Chelsea's lack of a system, uh, you know, their lack of a goal scorer. And really, uh, you know, I think they, as much as United and Liverpool, are floundering early on in the season, even if their points total might be a little bit higher. And for a team that continues to spend uh, and has spent on a player in Raheem Sterling, et cetera, et cetera, and players like Kukurela and, and Koulibaly, this game shows that, you know, they have so much work to do. And, uh, you know, we should also talk briefly about the fact that, you know, they, they're apparently holding Christian Pulisic hostage right now and not letting him leave the club. So all in all, a very uh, unflattering situation for the Blues. For sure. I mean, Callum Hudson-Odoi is probably super happy to have escaped the club to get some minutes at Bayer Leverkusen. Um, Man, I have to flee the country. <laughs> but, you know, Southampton are now ahead of Chelsea in the table um, on sort of goal difference. Actually, they're tied on goal difference, so it must be the results tiebreaker um, is what separates them. I think Sterling has actually performed quite well. I mean, he scored the only goal in this game. He scored um, or assisted two-thirds of Chelsea's Premier League goals this season. Havertz and Mount, though, zero goals, zero assists between them in, you know, almost 800 combined minutes in the Premier League simply isn't good enough. They're starting Ziyech um, on right wing, who it sounded like may even be on his way back to Ajax. There's certainly space for him um, with on that right wing with Anthony gone. Now, they need a striker. Abameg might not be that guy, but somehow... This club is finding ways to keep good players out of the team and also not get results. I think Tuchel, in retrospect, may have been a tad lucky to get that you know Champions League win in his first season. Because I think if you look at his tenure at the club without that, which you know is a major caveat, right? Because the Champions League is a massive win. But if you look at all the results other than in that one game, 
I'm not sure you'd say Chelsea have ever really been much of a force, despite the fact that they have spent loads. And so they need to bring in someone at striker immediately. Um, And I'm not sure why they thought it was a good idea to let so much of their attack, even underperforming, leave this summer without replacing them. Um, But with other teams, you know, in general, excelling in the league, this is a really, really bad result um, and bad start for the club under their new ownership. So I don't know. I feel like they're regressing to like the mean in like the worst way possible. And I just don't think their level is actually that high. If you look at, uh, Tuchel's performance and Chelsea's performance over the last 15 games, you'll notice that their record is eerily similar to Frank Lampard's record in his last 15 games as Chelsea manager, which is not good reading if you're Thomas Tuchel. And I think the performances have been truly woeful. Chelsea have been unwatchable at times this season. And I think if you're Thomas Tuchel, you're looking at players like Tammy Abraham, like Fakayo Tomori, who were on offer to him, who could have, well, maybe not Fakayo Tomori, I think was already at AC Milan at that point, potentially, but certainly Tammy Abraham, who, when Tuchel came in to Chelsea, was the top scorer in the club, at the club, and he allowed him to leave, obviously, and now is left with no uh, signed Lukaku, that deal goes south. Uh, Lukaku leaves to go back to Syria and now he's left with no recognizable goal scorer at all you know calling on the likes of Armando Broya to come off the bench and try and find you know some semblance of of goal production or even like a goal threat a remote goal threat because there's nothing going on right now for Chelsea offensively and yeah you know you look at their transfer dealings uh Koulibaly I thought was a sensible signing um, he has turned out to be quite error-prone in these last few games um, at the heart of the Chelsea back three. Cesar Azpilicueta looks like he's running into, finally looking like he's running into a bit of the uh, old age issues um, that plague so many of the great Premier League fullbacks uh, around his, you know, who have served as long as he has in the league. And uh, I'm not sure, you know, Wesley Fafana coming off of Uh, Two very serious injuries is going to be, you know, the 80 million transfer that changes everything for this team. And neither is, you know, signing Jasko Gavardio from RB Leipzig next season. (laughs) I think Chelsea really need to look, Chelsea really need to look to the immediate term to try and salvage something here. But right now, I think they're one of, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that they are one of the worst teams to watch in the division right now, just from a pure entertainment standpoint oh, by far they they took a team that scored you know five goals before yesterday's game and thought you know what this team really needs is another center back potentially maybe you need another two center backs but yeah i mean chelsea and southampton eighth and ninth right now uh top four as things stand arsenal with uh with five wins from five city with that draw against newcastle their only blemish although they have scored 19 goals uh this season already uh spurs who drew today and should have lost Mikel antonio missed an open goal in stoppage time uh but they drew with west ham there in third brighton in fourth and you know again early reports of liverpool's demise might have been a bit overstated as they're in fifth obviously with the caveat being that we still have 33 more match weeks to go uh, and leads in sixth for whatever it's worth but while the Premier League played twice in the last week, uh, the other major leagues all played as well. 
I wanted to give a special shout out before we maybe talk about the La Liga to one of the weirdest score lines that you'll ever see. Union Berlin beat Schalke 6-1. Schalke had double Union Berlin's expected goals in this game. So shout out Union Berlin, who are level with Bayern Munich on points right now as they continue their uh, remarkable... And they play each other next. Yes, they do. With U.S. national teamer uh, Jordan Sibachu slash Pefok and Charles Becker leading the line. So it should be very exciting stuff there. Uh, also, for on the Bundesliga, I think there's been a lot of wacky things happening in the Bundesliga recently. Um, nonetheless, is Jan Sommer's incredible performance uh, against against Bayern Munich, uh, saving something like 19, yeah, nine, 19 of 20 shots on target. Bayern had 33 total shots in the game. Right, and Bayern, who have been on fire to start the season, as we've talked about, and I think that's, you know, that's probably going to go down as one of the all-around best performances of the season from Mönchengladbach's goalkeeper. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we're talking about, you know, an early season matchup of first versus second. I would not have pegged it. I mean, I, I would have pegged it to be Bayern Munich, but I certainly wouldn't have pegged it uh, to be Union Berlin going into this game off the back of a 6-1 result. Yeah, I mean, I will pause the the Bundesliga is over bit for this weekend until Bayern beat Union Berlin like five to two (laughs) and then (laughs) yeah Um, I will say Union Berlin though are a very impressive club in the sense that they sold a lot of the you know their offense this summer in like Awani etc and are still you know I think batting well above what you would expect their weight to be but it is true that as it stands after four games there are two teams on 10 points Bayern and Union Berlin and then three teams on nine points Freiburg Hoffenheim and Dortmund following so for now as in for the next you know like 72 odd hours um <laughs> the Bundesliga remains in play um but we, we'll... we're back baby <laughs> <laughs> it's like we never left das Bundesliga, das Bundesliga. Um, but but we shall see. Although it is it is I think a little worrying to see you know if you're winning games six one and outperforming your xg by six times while being out xg'd by your opponent. I'm not sure that portends you know all that well for how no, you'll. No, it smells. It smells like a hint of fortune. <laughs> <laughs> also, mind you, Schalke are winless this season. Just recently promoted, um, and so I'm not sure. You know, I, I imagine there will be plenty of, you know, drubbings of Schalke from plenty of Bundesliga teams this year. But for now, the Bundesliga is back, brought to you by ESPN+. Plus. Um, and we will see <laughs> <laughs> on Saturday. Let's talk about these rat bastards at ESPN+. Plus. <laughs> Increasing the amount of uh, it takes to subscribe to their service. Uh, okay, in defense of ESPN+. Plus, First of no, all, he's an employee. We can't listen to him. You're, yeah. <laughs> he's it's like the Red Bull. It's like the Red Bull thing all over again. Back when they were sending you like promo shirts and stuff. Yeah, they would. They sent me like that package that had like a New York Red Bulls kit and like a hat and like four free Red Bulls. And I was like, oh yes, I love Red Bull. Actually, you just love kissing ass to all these sports. And look where it's got me. <laughs> 
I mean, to yeah, to be fair, you are a like real sports reporter now. So no, I know. And and yeah. by the way, my my DMs are totally open for anyone who wants to you know tempt me. I tend to do well with caffeinated beverages or oligarchy so you know t- take your pick dude if our first like real sponsor which is to say our first sponsor was like carabao i would lose it i would absolutely <laughs> you know, lose no, it. we'd have to like we'd have to <laughs> retcon like all the shit that i've said throughout <laughs> the last absolutely. like six years yeah, you need to scrub the feed <laughs> of like any bad takes you've had like like, like you know yeah. We would need so. to exclusively cover the Carabao Cup. <laughs> we could, we can We'd become America, uh, America's leading movie. America's leading Carabao Cup provider. Uh, no, that'd be great. But uh, anyways, so that uh, was the Bundesliga. That was the Bundesliga. Um, let's see, La Liga is looking interesting. Uh, Real Madrid look look mighty fine uh, still. Sevilla look mighty trash, which is what you would expect, uh, given that you know they sold uh, all their center backs. But uh, I think it would not be surprising if Sevilla have a managerial change in the next couple of weeks after they got uh, you know donged by Almeria, who have looked pretty good so far. But uh, yeah, well, they're selling. Uh, yeah, Sadiq is going to uh, Sociedad to replace yes, Isak, which is okay though because Largue Ramzani has now scored, I think, three goals in three games. So they'll they'll be balling. Almeria will be balling. Uh, but to me, though, the story in La Liga is uh, Real is Betis right now, isn't it? Yeah. Did you guys see the video of what their entrance was at their stadium for their first home game? The guy with the the, the with the, the violin. violin. It was. Awesome. I was like, I see why Hector Bellerin is waiting for Arsenal to terminate his contract because, dang, that looked absolutely sick. No, Betis are Betis are dope. I mean, clearly the top dog in Seville right now. Um, but on the point of Sevilla, I, I am kind of, so Barcelona play them this coming weekend after what I think is safe to say very, you know, impressive but also kind of casual. Uh, 4-0 win over Valladolid um, with OG Ronaldo in the house watching his club, I guess in the words of Nathan, get donged. Um, But I worry because Sevilla are playing so below their ability. This feels like the type of fixture where they come out really strong and could sneaky steal, you know, some points off of Barcelona. Um, It kind of feels in in its way like the Liverpool Man U game from a week or two ago where Man U are playing so badly, um, but yet when it counts, kind of find a way. Um, but in general, I think La Liga has been very entertaining so far this season. Also, Cavani yeah. joining Valencia on a free. I'm not sure how good he'll be, um, but it'll be interesting to see what he can do for a Valencia team that's still kind of being molded um, by Gattuso, with the latest rumor being actually that I think they might be selling Carlos Soler. They have to PSG. sold Carlos Soler yeah, to PSG. PSG which, continue to stockpile Spanish midfielders. And yeah. and like now I'm just confused because now they have too many midfielders. Also, it's like, what the hell were Liverpool doing with Carlos Soler, who's <laughs> perfect for their team, sitting on a transfer fee of what looks to be like around 18 million even even fabian ruiz for 25 million dude like what are we doing what are they doing over there at anfield i don't know man it pisses me off but yeah gattuso obviously bringing in a player as experienced as cavani to lead the line it looks like maxi gomez 
is heading out of the club, the other Uruguayan striker. And so I think this is huge. You know, Cavani wanted to move to La Liga. It looked like he was in talks uh, f- uh, with Valencia's arch nemesis Villarreal for the longest time this summer. But he's gone to the other side, to the Mestalla, to Valencia. And I think he's going to score a decent amount of goals in La Liga. That's just the way that Cavani does. And it's just to be the question is, is who's going to be playing in the midfield underneath him? Because it looks like there's still a lot of shakeup to be done at Valencia right well, now. Well, Yunus Musa is one of those players. I don't know if you guys saw, but he scored uh, his banger. It, that got, it, it, it got called back, but I, it was still It got called back because of a, a foul in, in the buildup, which I think is really cruel because it wasn't even like he did anything wrong. Um, it's just that one of his teammates did foul uh, their opponent. I got the rule. I got a rule about this, and it's if like the goal is like very aesthetically pleasing, or it's an absolute thunderbolt, and like there's a foul in the buildup or something. I feel this way about the Douglas Louise goal today. The Olympico, clearly a foul. Yeah, dude. Let the goal. Let the goal stand based on vibes alone. Is that haven't what you're haven't we <laughs> talked about this? Like I think we there have, should be like a style yeah, rating, yeah, like dude, like the, the NBA dunk enough, contest, yeah. and it's like yeah, if it's it a, goes, if the average is above a seven, like it stands. Right, and Douglas Louise has like the sick like walk off celebration where he just like walks into the corner doing like the the Billy Str- like it's awesome. Like let the goal stand. Clearly a foul, like we all saw it. But when are we gonna see you know an Olympico in this day and age? You know, like let it let it stand. And I feel the same way about the Musa goal. You know, yeah, that was a banger. You have some common sense about these things. Yes, uh, but. La Liga will be interesting again. And the other the other league that we've talked about a bit, uh, Serie A, is interesting as well. Dusan Vlahovic now has two free kick goals uh, in his last two games. But uh, a big game, I think, this last weekend for Roma, where they drew Juventus, showing once again that I think, you know, there are five or six teams, I forget which totally settled on, that, that could reasonably, you know, win the Scudetto this year. Roma top of the oh, table yeah, were, right now. And they were crap. They were crap in this game against against Juve. I thought Juve outplayed them for large stretches, but this was very Mourinho to get Roma's first ever point at the Allianz Stadium uh, since it's been constructed. Roma have not gotten a single point away to Juventus at their new ground, and Mourinho is now the first person who is able to do that with Roma. And also, you know, Roma winning in midweek as well with Dibola scoring his first few goals for the club. So... Yeah, Roma are definitely looking like some uh, tasty underdog title challengers right now, especially with Inter losing to Lazio last week as well. Yeah, and then the last league that we can just touch on momentarily, PSG drew against Monaco over the weekend. They won 3-0 today, and they are tied at the top of the table right now with, do you know the two other teams? In in Ligue In Ligue yeah. It's um, Lens yep. and Marseille. Correct. Um, on 13 points apiece. However, PSG's goal difference is nine more than Lens and Marseille and greater than Lens and Marseille's goal difference combined. Dude, so, Lens are kind of wild because they sold Jonathan Klaus to Marseille and he was their, le- I think he was their leading uh, you know, goals and assists producer of last year, and they've really kicked on despite having some of the most jarring kits in all of the all of. And they sold Ducure to Crystal Palace. Yeah, so which sh- is sh- a huge outgoing. Shout piece. shout out Lens, who I guess can see a bright season ahead of them. Oh God! Well, well also on Marseille, yeah. like they had a 
you know, kind of a managerial crisis this summer with Sampaoli leaving the club because there were no transfer incoming. So he, he picked it up and said, see you later. And they brought in Igor Tudor of Juventus fame. And he's kind of uh, turned the club around. You know, Alexis Sanchez and Nuno Tavares, two ex-Arsenal players, uh, leading the charge in the goal scoring. And so talk about another place where the vibes are good, where they're usually pretty crap. That is, you know, at the Stade Velodrome. Right. Yeah. The vibes are vibes are good in 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 Marseille right now. Yeah. Maybe maybe you know, Ligue won't be wrapped up by uh, by February. Maybe maybe it'll nah. take until March instead. No. Nah. I, and then one more lens point. I think it's cool that uh, Adam Buxa, who's injured right now, but of New England Revolution fame, is making his first forays into, you know, top flight European competition. So it'll be interesting to see how he kicks on there. There are two more tiny things that we sh- I think we should just mention before maybe we go. One, pouring one out for our boy, Scott Parker. Um, who- so sexy, so bad at managing. <laughs> It's not his fault though. His team no, it's is not his fault. It it's not his year. fault. It's not his fault. I'm um, mostly joking. But so just pouring one out, and then also uh, Ricky Pooj with a nice assist um, on his MLS debut. I really hope that he can kick on in America um, because you know I like him, even though he wasn't wasn't quite Barcelona level. Unfortunately, those are my final points for the day. Yeah, banger, banger of an assist from from Ricky Puig. So, uh, yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. By this time next week, uh, I will have moved house. Uh, I will also have gone to Louisiana for the first time, but those aren't as important as the matches that we have coming up. Uh, the first European match week is next week, uh, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, depending on which competition your team happens to be in. I feel fortunate to be back to watching Thursday soccer after uh, a mighty long absence. And uh, of course, some good games coming up this weekend, Barca Sevilla, I believe, and Arsenal United headline, uh, I think the slate of this weekend's games, but Merseyside Derby. Oh, Merseyside Derby at 7.30 on Saturday, Darwin Nunez coming back from suspension and entering the most violent game uh, in the Prem. So we'll see how he does there, but I fancy yeah, Everton sure to get absolutely bad. Go He's going to get sent off again, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad thing is, is like there's no real player from Everton that I really hate anymore. So yeah, it's not like they're, they're like all, they're all crap. Like, the I mean, Anthony Gordon has a bit of a punchable face, don't you think? Yeah, I guess that'd be the one, right? Yeah, or I'm not advocating for violence, by the way, at the end of this podcast. I just, <laughs> I just want to put it out there. I'm not, I don't want Anthony Gordon to get headbutted. Okay, but I low key well, on, okay, okay. Well, on that note, um, <laughs> we covered a lot of ground. They call us the uh Harvey Elliott of podcasts because we cover a lot of ground, uh, but. Indeed. Until next time, I've been Nathan Strauss. Caleb Rhodes. I just checked who Liverpool play in the first game <laughs> of the Champions League, and it's freaking Napoli again. I feel like we played Napoli every year, and every year we lose. And I guarantee you, it's going to be that Georgian winger whose name oh, is just Kvakia, like... Oh, like Kvakia yeah. Oh, he's sick. Yeah, bloody hell. He's <laughs> sick. <laughs> yeah, I, I guarantee you he's going to score at least two 
mildly crap goals at Anfield and, and secure like a 2-1 win for Napoli. <laughs> I mean, uh, are you going to... Yeah, we'll see you all next time. <laughs>